Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On episode 7 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, the whole gang's back together with Adam, Scott, Jeremiah, and Jeff talking Tottenham match review, transfer rumors, and we end with the Leicester City match preview coming up for this match week. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast here. We're back for episode seven, and the whole band is back together. We have myself, Adam, Scott, Johnson. Uh, we have Jeff Catlin and Jeremiah Carson as well. Gentlemen, uh, I'll let you all fight over airtime here. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Hey. Hey. <laughs> all right, perfect. <laughs> a perfect mess. I, I anticipated the entire way. Um, so uh, we're back midweek here or towards the end of the week, and we are... Uh, getting ourselves ready for that Leicester away match. Um, it should be a, a fairly exciting match. Both teams are sort of in a tough spot right now coming off back-to-back losses. So I think it's uh, it's going to be a pretty gritty game. But before we get to that, we have some uh, previous match news to get to as well as uh, some topics in between. So we're going to start with a look back on that Tottenham match. Uh, we don't want to dwell on it too much. We're all tired of thinking about losing to Spurs. But... As far as uh, the Tottenham match pre or match review goes, who do you guys think were our best and worst uh, our best and worst players here? I'll let you decide who you're going to, who's going to go first, and and so on. But uh, who who was our best and why, and who do you think was our worst and why? You know, when I did the player grades for GreenStreetHammers.com, I thought it was really four guys stood out to me: uh, Issa Diop, Rice, Arnautovic, and Snodgrass. And you can make a case for any one of the four as being our man of the match. I think most people thought it was Declan Rice, which can seem to be a trend week after week. He's he's our man of the match or among those fighting for that. But I thought all four of those guys stood out with their performance. Um, I definitely thought we deserved a result against Spurs, even just a point, and we didn't get it, so it was very disappointing, and I think especially to the fact that it was Spurs, it makes it doubly disappointing, as you mentioned. Um, but, I, but I think that the, those guys stood out in particular, and there was definitely a few on, in my mind that stood out uh, on the other end of the ledger too. Yeah, for me anyways, I, I would have to agree. Those, those names are pretty solid in my, in, in my memory anyways. Um, I, I'll, I won't even put a, a actually I'll, I'll give it to Sidiop. He was my, he's my winner for best player going out. But, um, a lot of people are pegging worst player to probably be Felipe Anderson. And, uh, I got into some, some tough conversations, we'll call them, uh, <laughs> with some Twitter personalities, uh, and, uh, n- never anything personal there. So X, if you're listening, I doubt it, but if you are, 
no hard feelings, just differing opinions. But uh, I, I, people are slating Felipe Anderson for his defensive coverage in that match, and I don't think he was good. I never said I think he was good. I just said I, I think the the, uh, the negativity towards him is misdirected, uh, specifically on the goal uh, that that Tottenham. Uh, that Tottenham scored. It was Sissoko to Lamella who put it in. And the whole time uh, people are kind of going at Anderson because he's not following up on the fullback. So Kieran Trippier, Uh, Trippier was standing on the halfway line and Sissoko had drifted out of midfield to sort of put some pressure on that side. Anderson was covering Sissoko and uh, Cresswell was covering uh, the forward there, Lucas Mora up at the front, up at the top. And, no one was covering Trippier, so when uh, when Cresswell dropped his coverage and ran over to him, he got basically stepped around with one foot, and Sissoko was sent in. That left Lamella open, and it, it was over from there. But there doesn't seem to be an equal level of caring when it comes to other players uh, making mistakes and Felipe Anderson making mistakes. And for me, it's to me, it's just basically his price tag that gets that that much stick attached to it. Um, which isn't fair to him, but uh, we've talked about that in the past. So you're going to take him off after, what, like 47 minutes of game time. You're not going to give him the most opportunity to succeed in that game. I thought Sonagas ran his socks off. Chicharito looked good too. But uh, as far as as far as far the worst player on the pitch, I don't think it's Anderson, and I don't think they gave him long enough to even really put a full effort in. So what about, what about, uh, what about Scott? What do you think? Best and worst from that Tottenham match? Um, I'd agree with you on the best. I think Issa Diop uh, made some absolutely crucial challenges and he seems to be doing it week in, week out. Um, there are just times when he just seems to read the game and his speed just allows him that to get to places that you're not sure he's going to be able to cover. Uh, that tackle against Kane was Ooh. incredible and mm-hmm. I think it kind of get, gets lost in the, the match reviews because we lost in the end uh, and people are focusing on our left-hand side and I, I think Anderson was probably at fault for that goal. I think he could definitely have uh, run harder earlier uh, as soon as you start seeing it. Uh, but I don't, I, I say I wrote an article about it. I don't think he's uh, responsible for our leaky left-hand side as such because it, it's a kind of like a double, uh, double reason here is the left-backs we have aren't as strong defensively as the right-hand side we have. Um, so we get attacks down that side more often, so they try and expose it more. So Yarmolenko has, at times uh, this season, missed out on tracking back. Um, there are times where he's just almost put no challenge in whatsoever, but because Zabaleta is the right back, it just seems to be held up more. There's more chances for people to get for him, and sometimes the, there it doesn't need to be a challenge put in by the winger because the attack then has to go to the other side because Zavaleta is strong defensively. Down the left-hand side, um, I just seem to not have an answer to any kind of doubling up with a winger and fullback. And I think it's harsh on Anderson because you're right, I think people are judging him on his price tag and he didn't choose it. I mean, he's not going to turn around and go, whoa, 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 guys, you're paying too much for me. I don't think I'm worth that. Um, could, you, could, you, could you calm down a little bit? Uh, right, so we paid that we've put that valuation on him he hasn't put it on himself and then for us to then start slating him for that is a bit harsh I think I've always said that about price tags but yeah he's 
I would love to see him flourish, and I think this is just going to be a little monkey on his back until he maybe either gets rid of it or maybe we see him switch into a number 10 role rather than the wing. Um, because I don't think he was necessarily the worst player, but I think that defending did hit him because he gave the ball away a few times. Uh, I think he started to look like he needed to produce at the other end, um, like he felt the pressure more than before. Uh, and that's not a great thing for an attacking player if he starts feeling like he needs to produce rather than like that's going to happen anyway. Uh, it can really get in your head. I'm glad you brought that up, man. Before we leave Anderson here, we're talking about he got a lot of stick for the way he defended, but let's talk about his attacking. And he was sitting over there on those corners, and they were terrible. Terrible oh, corners. They, terrible well, corners. So, I mean, that's part of this, too, when you're judging if he's, quote-unquote, the worst player. Yeah, the defending, and maybe that's not his role, and, and we, we didn't put the price tag on him. But we did expect him to do more on the creative end of things. And starting with a set piece in the corners, th there was two or three of them that were just so bad, and finally Snodgrass took over, thankfully. But that's part of this, too. And I think when a player gets subbed off that early, and it, like he was— you know, it's something that we all can see as fans and supporters and passionate fans and followers of West Ham. But I think there are sometimes more going on that we don't see that the manager sees or that professional sees. And I think there there had to be something to that, too. But he was poor, admittedly, on both ends in that match, not yeah. just defending. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was uh, read an article yesterday, I can't remember who it was by, and uh, they, they put a nice little um, thing in there and said, yeah. Uh, against Brighton and Sinsen in a really nice corner. And Balbuena probably should have scored the header from it. Yep. And since then, he's, he's joked that Anderson's been on strike and has refused to put in a decent <laughs> And I thought that was very, very amusing in the middle of quite a serious issue. But uh, yeah, I think Anderson's quality on the ball has to... If he's going to like drift off a little bit defensively, I will forgive him, like Payet did. Payet wasn't always tracking back. But I trust Payet to deliver at the other end. He was going to create something. He was going to do something special. Anderson can deliver the same things if he like we've seen him come up with some magic so far. He's got great, great passing on him. Uh, he comes great, create, uh, creates some great chances. But he needs to do that every game to, to really like overshadow if he's not going to track back properly. Yeah, and I don't want to sound like a broken record here. I mean, obviously, I think my. I'll get away from Anderson for a second and talk about my top player of the game. But once again, like a broken record, I think it has to be Issa Diop. Uh, he, you know, that stop on Kane, I don't want to, I kind of want to reiterate that, I guess, because he, I thought for sure, I was like, here we go. Here's Kane's going to get a good shot on and out of nowhere. He came in and made a great tackle. Um, and it seemed like all game and not just all game, but all week and, and last week even still. Um, so I think that, you know, I got an article coming out tomorrow about it, but I think that he, was definitely a man of the match to me. Um, there might be a couple other people that stepped up as well. But for me, it's tough. And obviously, I want to slate Anderson. And I want to talk down on how he performed. And he, and he did. You know, I kind of I see it both ways. You know, either he has to figure out how to track back more. And I read an article about how, you know, he was looking at some video and uh, potentially getting some more training on that this week. And I think you're right. I think all three of you are right, you know, as far as getting uh, as much as we paid for him. I think he gets a lot of stick for not being able to perform as well in that. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the fact that he's, you know, still getting used to a different league. You know, Premier League's way different than Serie A, and I think that sometimes we just gotta we forget about that maybe. But to me, you know, like I said, broken record. That whole left side, something needs to to get changed. Whether we move Anderson 
to the number 10 role and we put somebody else out there on the wing. I don't know if that's Antonio or if that's Snodgrass or maybe we get crazy and put Mazawaku up there. Oof. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that something needs to get switched up. And uh, we obviously have some issues at the left back. And it looked to me part of it, too, was just a miscommunication. You would see somebody go by Anderson, you know, whether it's Trippier or somebody else, and he would look at Cresswell and they would kind of have this moment of, like, who's got him? And uh, so that, to me, is also an issue, a huge issue that's still lingering. Yeah, not uh, not not really too much disagreeing on my side there. I'll defend Anderson, but I'm not going to say he he wasn't West Ham's. Uh, he was West Ham's best player. That's that's far from far from the truth there. Uh, if we want to all just sort of close out on this here, what do we think uh, as far as uh, the rematch coming up in the cup match? Do do you like our odds still in that one, or do you think that maybe it's still going to be a challenging match for West Ham? How do you think uh, Tot- Tottenham are going to approach it? Right. I'll jump in and say, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> we got our, our timing is perfect so far. <laughs> yeah, so I think, uh, I think Spurs didn't outplay us in that match, and I think that's what we can really take from it. Um, like, there were periods where Spurs looked much the better side, and I think we didn't take advantage of the times where we looked the better side. Uh, we created some chances, and we didn't uh, either create clear enough ones or we seem to just rely on on Artovic to pretty much score any any chance we create and we need to sometimes realize that other people can have a go as well but uh, I think we've got a chance still against Spurs in the cup it's obviously going to be tough they may have some players back from injury by that point um, but they're also got a lot of games in a row uh, that they're worried about uh, I think they've still got a champion another Champions League match before then mm-hmm. Um, so they will have played more matches than we have. Hopefully we can turn up fresher. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a chance, but it's any game against Spurs. They could put out basically a second eleven. It's still a good team. Um, and we do need to work out if we're going to play our first team again or we're going to make some changes because I'm not sure Spurs will take it as seriously. Uh, they're Obviously, they're in the... Well, they're still in the Champions League just, but um, they're still going to be sort of pushing for something in Europe. And this is going to be their, what's their fourth competition. So they're not really going to be focusing as much as we should. So I'm hoping we get something out of it. Yeah, I... I, uh, I'm on the same I'm on the same wavelength for you there. I think we're gonna probably get. Laurie's got a red card the other day in the Champions League, so I don't know how that's gonna factor into any suspensions or anything. But I do think that West Ham will probably um, take that game. And, and like you did say, Scott West Ham, they didn't get outplayed. The stats show actually otherwise. So um, a lot of positives to build on for for the Hammers there. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful and positive heading into that match. This one, just like the Brighton one, didn't really deflate my mentality when it came to the team. Just need a couple more teeth in the attack i think the biggest advantage we're going to have going into the cup match really is the fact that we're not as deep as some of these bigger clubs we're not as deep as spurs so they'll have the opportunity to roll over their squad which could mean they're fresher but it also could mean that they're you know playing lesser players well we're going to go into this with the mindset that this is our squad this is our best 11 pretty much and we're you know outside a goal which i'm sure adrian will start and that's going to put us in an advantage and we, we will have time off and a little bit more rest going into it than they will. And and I agree. I think we have to take these cup matches seriously um, and probably more seriously than they will. And I think that also plays to our advantage. So I'm expecting uh, expecting a win in that one. Yeah, I'm going to agree with uh, with all of you. And I think, too, like Scott and uh, 
and Jeff, you both said, and I think actually all three of you said that just the amount of matches that they're going to have coming up to it is going to be probably tiring on them. So we can hope that that's going to probably wear them out a little bit. I think that um, we got to, you know, it's, it's going to be tough because it's, it's once again, we're playing Tottenham. It's another London Derby and uh, it's just going to be another rough match. But we have to, like y'all said, we have to take advantage of these cups because let's be honest, I don't think we're going to be making a top six run. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe something else is going to come out of it. So we really have to look at this for this year and really kind of trust Pellegrini and his three-year plan that he has going on. But I think it will be a tough match. I think that, uh, like you said, we didn't really play horrible against them this past week, so I'm not devastated that much. But I think that we do have to come out, and uh, we have potential to win that match. So, yeah, I think we got a good one coming. All right, so that'll do it for the match preview here. We will be right back from uh, a word from some advertising here, and we'll, we'll get into some actual uh, transfer rumors. So keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, so we're back, and we're talking transfer rumors now, and there's been a lot, and it, it isn't really all that surprising, seeing as how it's West Ham, uh, seeing as how we haven't started the season as we would like, and seeing as how our team has been just ransacked by injuries which all seem to be a reoccurring theme when you get into uh, the start of a Premier League season. But uh, we will digress on that point. Anyways, uh, we do have some interesting people that uh, have been linked with West Ham, and, and we're going to do them in, in some groupings. So uh, I'm going to list out list out three names. You can say yes or no to each one, and then you can, if you want to bring in some sort of context to why or why not, Please feel free, guys, and uh, and we'll move through them at a pretty solid pace here. But, uh, yeah, take your time if there's someone you want to talk about. Uh, the first grouping will be two names that are linked together, and they are both from Chelsea. And the first one is Victor Moses, former West Ham right back. The second one is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and the third one is Tom Heaton. He's from Burnley. Uh, Jeremiah, we'll start with you. What are your uh, What are your thoughts on those three? So let's see, we got Moses, Loftus-Cheek, and Heaton. You said yes. So Moses, I'm going to give a thumbs up to, and uh, Loftus Cheek, I'm going to give a thumbs up to, and Heaton, I'm actually going to give a thumbs down to. Okay. Uh, my reason, Moses, I loved Moses when he was here. I wish we could have signed him permanent. Um, and I know, you know, he does. He has the right back abilities, more of a wing ability, but he can also kind of get up under the front uh, forward wings as well. So I think he might be able to actually help a little bit on that. Loftus Cheek is pretty young. I'm not exactly sure on his age, but I know he's pretty 22, young. 22. 22. Yeah, 22. And uh, I know he's scoring and doing good things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, you want to take youth. You want to get more in that midfield. Like you said, somebody else is going to get hurt. We always talk about having Lanzini come back and, you know, we'll be good. But, you know, someone else is going to get hurt. And Heaton, I'm going to say no to. I do like him. But I think with right now with Fabianski, I know he's a little bit older. But, you know, keepers will kind of last around for a bit. I don't really know what Adrian's going to do, but I'm really liking the prospect of uh, Nathan Trott back there as well. So I would say no to Heaton and yes to the other two. All right, uh, Jeff, what about you? I agree with everything Jeremiah just said. Um, I thought Moses was great when he was at West Ham. He scored a couple huge goals for us early in that campaign, which was the last one at Bolin Ground, and I was sad to see him go. So thumbs up on him, thumbs up on Loftus-Cheek, and uh, thumbs down on Heaton for all those same reasons. I just think when you look at this club, there's so many other areas we need to focus on rather than goalkeeper. And to me, that's a position we're solid on for this year for sure. So we could deal with that in the summer and don't need to expend January resources on that. Perfect. Scott, what about you? Want to round it out here? Uh, yeah, I mean, 
for a January transfer, I think uh, Moses and Loftus Cheek would make sense. I mean, Yarmolenko is likely out until the end of the season, or near near enough end of the season. Uh, Moses would cover that right wing. He adds a little bit of direct movement without Antonio's lack of first touch. And I think I I said in the summer I was crying out for getting someone like Loftus Cheek in for the central midfield. He can play deeper or more attacking. He's very versatile in that area. He's strong. He's good on the ball. I would have absolutely loved to have signed him in the summer, either on loan or permanently. And to do like to do that in January would really help our squad. Um, there's no doubt about it. Heaton's an interesting one. If we're talking January, then it's a big no. Uh, I don't see the point. He's a year younger than Fabianski. Uh, he is better than Adrian, and he's about the same level as Fabianski. Right, potentially better, but it it doesn't really seem that much. It doesn't worth that kind of investment in the summer if Adrian was to leave, potentially, but. As has been raised, uh, Nathan Trott looks a good prospect. Maybe they don't want him being the you know, like the second choice yet because uh, if something happened to Fabianski next season, they don't, wouldn't want to rely on him constantly in the Premier League. So maybe they're looking at that kind of thing. But why would I'm not sure why Heaton, who's been linked with like always been sort of touted for England uh, with his impressive form for Burnley over the last couple of seasons. I'm not sure why he's gonna come around and play and like be like second fiddle here. Uh, there, there are probably other Premier League sides where he'd go and be first choice. I mean, somewhere like I don't know who's gonna come up next year or someone who's in the bottom half would absolutely love him. He's a, he's a very solid keeper, so I'm not particularly sure why he would join us either. So on two fronts, I'm not sure that's a particularly realistic rumor. Um, I'm going to leave uh, Victor Moses and Ruben Loftus-Cheek with with what you guys said. Um, I would be very adamant on uh, a buy trans or a buy clause at the end of Loftus-Cheek's uh, loan, and even if it was up to 30 million pounds, I would pay it because I think he's going to be worth more than that in the long run. And there's a lot of options there for Chelsea to still use and. and Kovacic and Conte and Jorginho and Ross Barkley. So there could be an, an, a little opening there. There's a nice little article written on Green Street Hammers if you want to look it up. Um, I'm going to say yes to Tom Heaton, which you guys all turned down. Heaton, to me, is the perfect gap filler for West Ham. He, If he came in in January, it would be on the assumption uh, that um, Adrian's leaving, probably going back to Villa uh, Villarreal, which, or, sorry, Real Betis or Villarreal, whichever one was his was his uh, former team. Uh, So to me, that would make sense. Heaton is not one that's going to be really trying to steal the job from Fabianski. And as well, he's not going to be a guy who, um, who surpasses Nathan Trott in the, the the future of the team. He's available. He'll be cheap. He's uh, I think he's got one more year after this. So he even gives you an option next year. Um, I think uh, Burnley just want to get his uh, name off their books because they will have Nick Pope back by January and Joe Hart. So I think he could make sense just as a basic placeholder until Nathan Trott's ready, who still may need a year in the championship as a starting keeper before he comes up and assumes some starting time for West Ham. Now, the next three names here um, are going to be a foreign person, an even more foreign person, and someone who we're all well aware of. Uh, the first one is uh, Edin Dzeko, the striker from Roma. Miguel Almiron, central attacking midfielder from Atlanta FC, Atlanta United FC in the MLS. And the last one is Danny Drinkwater. Let's change it up here, and Jeff, you can start us off with your thoughts on those three. 
Well, I think first of all, it's interesting being in the U.S. and I will admit I am I am no fan of MLS at all. I don't <laughs> I don't think it rates, especially when you watch West Ham United and all the other Premier League squads week in and week out. I can't muster any energy or attention to MLS, and I find it comical that some of these big MLS players, Wayne Rooney, Ibrahimovic being the, the latest two to come over here in their twilight years, cash a big check and the American fans love to watch them and they still can score. And that shows you the level of play here in the U S and that league. So, but, but that being said, it is interesting to see a player uh, like him from Atlanta being linked, going back the other way, going into EPL and to be linked with a club like West Ham. He's young. He's 24. He scored some goals. Uh, the price tag is said to be anywhere from 11 million pounds to 33 million pounds. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but you just don't know what type of player you're going to get when they're playing at this level as opposed to any of the top European leagues or, heck, even the top South American leagues where there is a track record of success for these players coming over. And now the advantage he does have maybe is that he's not an American MLS player, so he was brought up in a different system than American players are here and then go try and play in England or in one of the other European leagues. So I think that's the most interesting one of these names for me. We all know about Danny Drinkwater as well. Um, but I think uh, this grouping here, I'm pretty lukewarm on all three of them as a fit for West Ham. All right, Jeremiah, jump in. I'm going to jump in with that. And, and just to piggyback off what you said, Jeff, there's a reason I think that uh, two or almost, I guess, three out of the four of us are huge, as huge West Ham fans as we are, even though we're from North America region, because um, MLS is just not – doesn't really have it i think you're right and so with almiron if i'm saying that right um <laughs> if he with him i'm gonna say no uh drink water you know like i just i'm gonna kind of go back on what i said last section where we're talking about loftus cheek how we need more midfielders more midfielders whatever but with drink water i'm probably gonna have to say no on that i just it doesn't really i know we've been linked to him last time as well still not really just feeling it with him aiden jekko i like him you know i think he's a little bit older he's up in age and uh I think we kind of already have a couple players that kind of fit his role up front. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad about it. I would be, I guess, curious as the uh, what the price would be. I wouldn't want to end up having to pay way too much. And I know probably with a name like his, you might have to. But I think out of those three, maybe Jekko would be the only one I would possibly say yes to. Scott? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't follow MLS in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so I can't comment on uh, Almiron, Almerion, um, because I, I, I would just assume that paying well, upwards of 15 million for a player from that league, it's, it's always going to be a big ask to, uh, to get someone to commit to that. Uh, I don't know if there's been a, a sizable transfer that way that's worked out. I can't, I, I'm, someone may embarrass me later on and sort of send, haha, this guy. But um, yeah, I can't think of someone who's gone that way for big, big money. Um, they tend to be spotted quite early and uh, go for like in use deals and this type of thing. But uh, drink water, I think, is an interesting one. Um, would I prefer Loftus Cheek? Absolutely. Uh, drink water would probably play a very similar role to Mark Noble. So you could be bringing him in if it doesn't cost you too much but I wouldn't bring him in early in the transfer window maybe sort of like if we haven't got any midfielders in by the end of January like 30th of January then we can potentially sort of try and bring Drinkwater in he would really bolster the squad I'm not sure how much he would sort of add that's new but 
again, someone proves me wrong, I'd be very happy because I do think we need some more midfield coverage. Jekka, uh, I would take. Uh, I think he would be someone that I would be very interested in. Would he come? I don't know why. He's playing Champions League football and scoring. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's pretty simple uh, for me. Uh, we can't offer him the same level of football he's getting at the moment, and he he's a good player. He's he's stronger on the ball than Chicharito. He's far more mobile than Andy Carroll. Uh, he's again. Uh, how would we play? Would are we then going to put Arnautovic out to the wing, or are we going to play two up top? Because he, again, he's not going to come to play on the bench, and Arnautovic will not accept being second like second choice striker uh so we would have a huge issue on our hands dealing with the sort of um egos around that and not that i think either one would be wrong to demand such a thing because on out of it just shown that he can be our first choice striker and it's certainly not him that's to blame for our sort of lower half league uh position and jeko will go yeah but have you not seen my record uh, he's he's done it consistently and he's worked hard for his reputation. I wouldn't. I just again, I don't think that's a realistic rumor at the moment. So probably I'd take him. Uh, in terms of like, if I was playing Football Manager or FIFA, but I'm not sure in a real world in a real world uh, situation it would work. Yeah, I uh, I'm no on Drinkwater. Yes on Almiron. If there hasn't been a big move like that from the. MLS to the Premier League. I'd rather be the first people to do it than try and be the third person who does it, who has to pay three times as much. So take a chance on him. And Jekko, I would love to take him, but Scott, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, why are you coming here to challenge for mid-table spot with West Ham when you're challenging for the Champions League with Roma? It doesn't make too much sense. Um, but we'll go to our last section of players here. Um, they're all actually transfer links from either this year or last uh, and they're all players we are pretty well aware of first one is Jermaine Defoe second one is Jao Mario and the third one is Olivier Giroud Scott uh, what do you think for those guys um, Defoe uh, unless we sell Chicharito I don't think it adds anything um, Chicharito is younger I mean Defoe's done it more in the Premier League uh, you could argue uh, unless you're really valuing sentimental moves back, I don't think you bring him in. Uh, again, uh, someone could turn around and give a great argument and I'll be swayed. I, I just hadn't really thought about this one. Um, I'm not sure I would bring him in. He doesn't. We can't put him on instead of Arnautovic and play the same way. Um, so that's not a great move for me. Uh, Jean Mario, again. He's a central midfielder, and we need them. So, again, I would take him over Drinkwater. I'd probably want Loftus-Cheek before Jao Mario. Um, so that's the ordering of those central midfielders. Um, but, yeah, I would uh, I would take Jao Mario again on loan. He was said to be in, like, willing to join us again or like pushing to move to join us again in the summer. So if, someone's, or if someone wants to join uh, and they are good enough to play for us, I think that's always a good sign. Um, he took a few games to settle in last year uh, and I think he would probably uh, do better in this kind of uh, shape we we have now it's a bit more attacking, it's a bit more free moving so I'd be uh, interested to see how he would do there and Giroud uh, would I take him? Absolutely uh, I think he's a great uh, mix of, sort of target man 
Arsenal fans will tell you his finishing can leave a lot to be desired at times. But, I mean, we don't really put people through one-on-one very often. That's not the way we play football. Uh, we we sort of create chances in and around the box. And I think uh, Giroud is a capable Premier League striker. Uh, but I'm I, from that side, yeah, of course I'd take him. From the other side, would he leave? I don't understand, again, why he would. I mean, he seems to be keeping Murata out of the Chelsea side. Are Chelsea going to spend big on another striker in January? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't keep up with their rumours. Um, it's hard enough keeping up with West Ham's. So if there was a big striker to join Chelsea, uh, again, I think Murata would be the one to leave because he's got this name and reputation to sort of protect and push forward. Giroud's an older striker. Uh, he's probably just trying to be in the best squad he can right now because he has a chance of winning stuff. So, yeah, I would take him. I, I have no, I have no inclination of it. Like thinking it's going to happen at the moment, especially not. I, I would, be, I would be amazed if he was to, if if there was any subs, like, substance behind it, and he would be interested in joining in January. All right, uh, Jeff, why don't you jump in here? I'll start with Mario because I thought he was he was really good for us last year, especially playing in in uh, David Moy's side as you mentioned. And I felt like in the summer, look, we all got really excited about our transfer window and the players we were bringing in. And to me, he just kind of went by the by the boards, and it was never even talked about that the club was even considering trying to get him again, either on loan or sign him to a permanent deal when he did want to play with us. And I thought that was kind of a crime, really. And so here we are. Uh, with another guy who played with us, who played well most of the time, in my opinion. He hasn't got into his side at all because he wants out, and we're linked with him again. And I just feel like that that was, that was a missed opportunity for us in the summer. Maybe the money wasn't right, but I just more than anything, when West Ham is linked with every player under the sun, it seems like, the fact that there was nobody mentioning Mario I thought was just something that was overlooked on the side of the club. I would definitely welcome him back in January again. I think he has a place in the side moving forward. Uh, Jermaine Defoe was fine, but he's like 55 years old now. So what's the point? Um, Olivier Giroud is is great at what he is. He's he's Andy Carroll, but better. Um, my wife would love it if West Ham signed Olivier Giroud, and I'll just leave it at that. But but I agree with everything that Scott said. Why why would he come here? He wouldn't. He's got a better situation on a better club, and he's keeping one of their big name players on the bench so he's he's got a pretty good situation for himself i would take him sure but i think looking at it from the most realistic perspective for west ham i think mario is the one player of those three that is the most realistic and the one that would help us the most all right jeremiah yeah i'm gonna agree with uh the last two on that one you know mario like like y'all said he came on i think really since uh maybe january january on he really looked good and, uh, you know, it, it is a crime. It's a shame that we didn't bring him back. I would definitely take him. I'm not sure if I would take him ahead of Loftus-Cheek or not. They would be pretty close to each other. Uh, Defoe, like you said, maybe two, three years ago when we were kind of talking about bringing him back, maybe then, but not now. You know, he just doesn't add any added benefit. And I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, try to get rid of Chicharito just to bring him on. Uh, and Giroud, yeah, I don't see why he wouldn't leave. You know, and um, I don't. I don't see why he'd want to go anywhere. He'd be great to have, you know, if I was the manager, I would take him. But, you know, I make a good armchair manager, but I don't <laughs> know about an actual manager. <laughs> but, yeah, with Giroud and Defoe, I'd say no. You know, and like you said, with, with Sentimental, bringing somebody back that used to play in the club with uh, Defoe, that would be one thing. But 
I'm going to still say no on that. So really only Mario out of that whole pick. You know, one thing I wanted to mention, too, before we move on from the transfer rumors is, you know, we're going to have a big like transfer signing come December and January, and that's Lanzini. You know, so even if we don't pick up any of these guys or we're picking up depth players like can be the case in January, they're not going to be guys that are going to get into the starting 11 immediately. We are going to have someone that can make an impact. And we all recognize he's coming off a most serious knee injury. And we've talked about a lot of players, Antonio and Cresswell being two that come to mind on the club that have come off injury. And even though they're playing and they're fit, quote unquote, they've never really achieved that form prior to injury. And so there is that big concern with Lanzini. But the fact of the matter is that he is going to be healthy and he is going to be training and he is going to get back into the side somewhere in December or maybe January. That is going to be like an added bonus of a player signing for the club that we already have here and that we already know what he's capable of doing that we're going to be able to bring in. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Uh, there's no guarantee, so I would like to see them obviously bring someone in who can actually start just in case there's any hiccups. But I'm going to disagree with you with you guys here. Olivier Giroud, don't want him. He's going to be too overpriced for 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 what he brings, and I also don't think he's likely to come. Jao Mario, I think he looked good in two games last season for the rest of the time was a passenger on a bad team. He isn't a game changer. He's just more of a, I guess, call him a luxury player if you want. He's a player that can join a good team and, and look completely in his depth there. But uh, the one player I would take is Jermaine Defoe. I know that sounds weird seeing as I think he's 35 or 6 now. Um, he knows how to score goals. He would never start a game for West Ham. I'm convinced of that. And I would only like to see him brought in if Chicharito was sold probably to the MLS. Uh, and if uh, Mikel Antonio was sold as well. And it looks like he's probably going to be, uh, seeing as how Dean is getting starts over him now. If those two go, I would like to see Defoe. He probably won't pick up any injuries if he's sitting on the bench for most of the time. He's a good uh, he's a good player to have sort of for morale. He knows how to score. He knows how to uh, he knows sort of how to coach players along and, and bring them up to a, a certain level. And he also uh, he's English, which helps out for filling out the requirements of having a Premier League team. So if you're going to lose Antonio, uh, you might as well bring in another Englishman. And uh, Defoe could do that. Plus, he's like I said, if he's starting, then you're then you're having problems like Carlos Sanchez. Just cover. Um, that'll do it here. Any any final words or anything as we wrap up the transfer talk? I'm just curious to follow up on the Antonio story and where you saw it or what the rumor is, because that that to me is a guy that has really. To, in in my own opinion, has fallen so far. He 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 used to be a two trick pony, and his one trick was you know what he still possesses, which is the pace and power down the side, and he can take on an opponent opposing defender. And his second trick used to be able to head balls in, mostly when Pae would feed him up to him, you know, perfectly. But his finishing, our lack of finishing, his lack of skill anywhere on the pitch, but especially in the final third, has become so frustrating to me. I just don't see how he fits. And I was not at all surprised to see him uh, subbed ahead of in last match. For that reason, it just becomes so frustrating. Um, and I would not be sad to see him go. Whereas a couple of years ago, I mean, we loved singing his song in, in matches because he was so great and he was like this feel-good story and an underdog coming up from the championship. And it, to me, we've just kind of lost all that aura around him. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. I, I just don't think he's he's got what it takes anymore. Uh, even his speed seems to be one and done now for sprints. So um, if someone like Palace thinks they can take him and make him a starter, I mean, they took Kuyate, which to me is an insane move, but they took Kuyate, <laughs> so let them deal with him too if they'd like to. No worries about letting Antonio go. Uh, about Lanzini, uh, just very quickly, 
is we were talking earlier about potentially Felipe Anderson becoming in his number 10. Um, that's Lanzini's role. And mm-hmm. uh, so far, I haven't seen anything that suggests that Anderson would play that role better than Lanzini. Um, and I would be very interested to see that because I think Pellegrini is a very clever manager. And I'm not sure he's going to shift Anderson into the middle to then have him shift out wide again when Lanzini comes back. He like, Pellegrini likes to plan things through and he won't like chopping and changing. He certainly won't want to give Anderson the number 10 role that he's going to then take away from him in eight or nine games time. Uh, because I, he, he won't want him to get used to that and then go, oh no, you're back out on the wing. Get, get ready to track back again uh, following that fullback. So that would be an interesting one. But you're right, Lanzini would be feel like a new signing coming in at that point of the season. Yeah, so I think we, we've covered all of our bases there and brought up actually some good points. Like, Scott, I didn't really even think about uh, the movement of Anderson, how it would affect Lanzini's plans. But it's a, it's a, it's a valid and very interesting point to bring up. Um, what we can do is put that on ice, think about it, reflect on it. And when we come back, we'll talk about our Leicester City match that's coming up for this match week. Stay tuned. All right, so it's Leicester coming up uh, in match week 8, 9, 9-10, whichever it is. Uh, it is uh, West Ham versus Leicester, and it's an important match for both teams. They're both coming off back-to-back losses, as we mentioned before. Uh, there's actually some some great articles up there uh, and going up tomorrow, which would be October 26th, uh, maybe tomorrow when you're already listening to this. So. Uh, there's some great articles going up outlining sort of what West Ham have to do to get a win, where those critical matchups are. Scott published one about uh, how West Ham and Declan Rice can shut down Madison, and uh, and there's there's been some good uh, some good thought pieces going on about basically how West Ham can claw back and, and start hitting uh, hitting some goals in here. So ahead of this match, Leicester is sitting 11th in the table, yet to have a draw in the in the league, which is interesting. Four wins and five losses. Uh, they're a very similar team, I would say, to West Ham as being sort of underperforming for where they are this year, but no one's really sleeping on them. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a team that can, can punish you if you go to sleep on them. Let's start with maybe some, uh, some predictions here. Where do we think we're going to be, uh, where do we think we're going to be finishing at the end of this match? Scott, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put that one on you first. Uh, okay. So in terms of how we, well, how we're going to be, I, I hope it's a game that's winnable, but I mean, Leicester are such a, as you say, they're quite similar side to us. I think if they turn up and play as well as they can, I mean, for most, for about an hour of the game against Arsenal, they looked like they were cap- a very capable side. They, they were taking the game to uh, to Arsenal, and I think they need to be very like, very much respected. They've got some very talented young players. Um, I was hoping that Ben Chilwell was going to be a potential target for us, but he's just signed another long-term contract uh, at their left-back. Um, they've got Vardy and Ian Atcher up front. I mean, that's pace to burn, uh, really is, and that's always a worry. Um, James Madison has come in from the Premier League, uh, from the Championship into the Premier League, sorry, and he looks right at home. Uh, he's very quick feet, um, but he's very intelligent. I think that shows. So I'm hoping we can get a win. Uh, we, we certainly can get a win because Leicester's sort of uh, expected that uh, sort of the variance and how they can play is is as such that we could turn up and it could be one nil two one win to us. But then if they turn up and play well, then yeah, it's going to be a tough game. Uh, they'll 
we're away from home. They've got all the ingredients to hurt us. I mean, we've got a high line playing against Fadi and Iheanacho. If we get it wrong a couple of times, they're in. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about this game, uh, but I'm also hopeful that we can get something good out of it. Prediction, what, what do you think score-wise? Do you have one available yet? Have you thought about it long enough? Uh, I would probably... I'm probably going to go with uh, Tool. Two all, okay. Score draw, I like that. All right, uh, I'll I'll force someone here. Uh, Jeremiah, give me your score prediction and sort of a little justification for it. Yes, I'm going to go one all for a score prediction. Um, like you said, Scott, this is a big game, and I don't I don't want to use the uh, the old saying that it's a must win, but I'm going to. Um, no, it's so early. <laughs> it is, it is, but there's a lot of answers. I think there are a lot of questions that need answered. You know, we'll. Uh, where are we going to keep Anderson out on the wing? I hope so. Because like you said, you know, Pellegrini's smart. Hopefully he can stay out there and play out there. But if we keep him out there, did he learn? Did he look at some videos? Did he practice uh, tracking back a little better? Um, I like I like, like the high line. I'm still a fan on the high line. And you're right, it could hurt us. Um, but we've been playing it pretty well recently, being able to catch some people off sides, as long as they call it. And uh, it's uh, – it's yeah, it's just it's going to be a tough one. You know, we we arguably played one of our best games, best matches last season at Leicester. Whenever we played there, um, at the very end, and so hopefully maybe that momentum we can bring back into there. But uh, yeah, we need we need a lot of questions answered coming up in this match, and it's not going to be an easy one to do it. So that's why I would say one all. And you know what? I'm going to let Jeff have the final word on it here. I'm going to say, and call me crazy if you want to, but I'm going to say a 3-0 win for West Ham. Um, wow. I think that so there's... This is shocking. There's, there's the shock. You're right, yeah. I, I think a draw is probably sensible, but if I'm being honest, West Ham should have won the Tottenham game. West Ham should have won the Brighton game. And then you're looking at them, what, four, five games unbeaten with four wins in that time. Um, and they also probably should have won the Chelsea game if you're thinking about Yarmolenko's header. So um, there's they're not far off. They're not missing a lot. I think it's just going to come down to momentum. Whoever can get the first goal is going to win this game, in my opinion. Uh, Leicester did fall apart against uh, against Arsenal, but Arsenal are a team that was able to sub on Aubameyang in the 61st minute, and we don't really have that kind of quality. And I think it's going to be a, a strong formation, a four. Uh, a 4-4-2, two strikers, Chicharito and Arnautovic. Like I said in my article, the bromance needs to come back. And uh, we need to see some quick passing and attack up the middle uh, and get the ball away from their fullbacks. Uh, ben Chilwell forced an own goal against Arsenal, and he looked really good for England. And Ricardo Pereira, he's quick. He had that amazing goal two weeks ago. He cut left, cut right, cut left again, and then the defender was basically on the bench, taking off his boots, and he just slammed it home into the top of the net. So... Keep it away from them, attack up the middle, and I, I don't think Johnny Evans is going to do much even if he starts. And, and I, Harry, uh, Harry Maguire's tough, but if you put two center forwards on him, uh, someone's going to find a way to get in. So I like West Ham, and I think they're going to score early and I guess often with a 3 with a three nothing win. <laughs> if you're going to go 4-4-2, four, four, who's your four in the middle? My four in the middle is going to be Anderson on the left side. I think that he... Actually, okay. Let me let me let me re re uh, organize my team here. It's going to be a Pellegrini four two two two. So you're going to have the left attacking mid be Anderson. You're going to have the right attacking mid be Snodgrass, and you're going to have uh, Noble and Declan in the middle, and then Diangana come on for 
Snodgrass when he runs out of gas probably in the 70th minute. So that that's how I would set up my team. But I guess a traditional 4-4-2 four, four, would work as well. I, I was just going to say, that's why I'm glad I'm getting to do the podcast this week, Adam, because it's so funny to hear you talk about the games that West Ham should have won, we could have won, we deserve to win, because you sound just like me when I'm at my house on Saturday morning <laughs> watching the match. But the fact of the matter is, and I hate to be the, the West Ham negative fan, but I think it's in all of our, our claret and blue blood here. We didn't win those games, and I'm really concerned uh, about the team over the last couple of weeks, and it's not just because of that high over the 3-1 win over Man United. It's the fact that we all of a sudden cannot score goals, and that's a problem. And when you look at Leicester City, I totally respect what they can do. They've scored six more goals than we have, and that equals two more wins and six more points, and that's a problem. I think it's also interesting as a West Ham fan now to sit here and look at this match and think, I feel pretty good about our defense where last year and the year before we were shipping goals left and right. And, you know, if you look at our goal differential, it's still uh, among the worst in the league. But the partnership between Balbuena and Diop with Fabianski behind them, I have a lot of confidence in those three. And I have a confidence in that as a building block for the club moving forward. I'm worried about why we're not scoring goals and we're creating all these chances and we can't finish them. So that's why I see this. I agree with uh, Jeremiah as a 1-1 draw. Adam, I would love it if we scored three goals, even if we lost four to three. That would be fantastic because I'm looking at this match as an opportunity to take points like the rest of you are. I think it's about time that West Ham take points from games that we should be taking points from uh, and, and, to, and to stop messing around and losing games 1-0 to teams like Brighton um, that we shouldn't be losing to and Wolves that we shouldn't be losing to because those points are going to add up at the end of the year. And so I think what I'm looking for from this match is, is us to finish some of our chances to, to kind of hold Vardy and Madison at bay and to have something to build on for this next run of games. Because if you look at our next five games, we do have Man City in there, but the other four are all eminently winnable, and we need to start bagging some points. And so I would love to see a result. A draw would be great. A win would be even better. But just something that shows we can overcome some of these injuries, build on it moving forward into this next stretch of the next four or five weeks. Yeah, um, I think a big thing that would determine how this game pans out is how Leicester approach us. Uh, if Leicester think they can just play us off the park and uh, play the way they want to, so some open football, we will have more of a chance. Um, the games we've really struggled to score are, like, if you think about Brighton, Wolves, they've been very compact. They've uh, sort of focused on keeping us out first and then hitting us after Leicester can definitely do that. Uh, they've got the pace to hit us on the counter-attack. But right now, we really seem to be struggling with breaking down sort of two banks of four if they're going to play with a 4-4-2. We don't seem to have sort of that uh, incisive pass and move that maybe a team like Arsenal would do. Uh, Arsenal seem to be able to counter-attack and also when someone defends, they have pass move, pass move, pass move, sort of pick your part a little bit and then they find a bit of space. We really struggle with finding that extra bit of space when someone's trying to deny uh, deny us an opportunity. So if Leicester come at us and look to play an open style of football, it should be a good game. We have a good chance. If they decide to play on the counter-attack, we could see uh, West Ham being very much frustrated again and not something I want to watch 90 minutes of. Yeah, actually, uh, there's a, a good a good... It's a it's a fair point there. 
Scott. And, and I think, yeah, it comes down to if they want to set out for a win, which you think they would because they're, they're at home and West Ham haven't scored in two matches. But uh, if they don't, and if they just sort of hang back and play that typical we won the Premier League counterattacking style football that they did, albeit without Mares, then West Ham could be in a bit of trouble. But um, Jeremiah brought up in an article that will be published shortly uh, that Vardy's been caught offside an awful lot. So as far as the attack goes for them, uh, that high line may be extremely valuable. Sorry if I took a point there from you, Jeremiah. Um, but as far as the team setup goes for Leicester, um, there's some strong points in it. And I think that, you know, that's something we definitely have to keep an eye on. Uh, the strong points would be Chilwell, left back, Pereira, at right back, Madison at attacking mid. And then the two strikers of Ian Nacho and Vardy. I assume that's how they're going to set up for the game. Um, I don't really see them uh, setting up for it in a different way. That's been kind of the the standard. Uh, sometimes Iannaccio moves down to the center uh, to the number ten role with Madison out to the left, but then they have a midfield duo of usually Amardi or Ndidi, um, which are good players. I think Ndidi gets a lot of um, a lot of credit for not doing a lot consistently. So even with uh, Harry Maguire in the back line if they have Wes Morgan beside him he's someone who's not very disciplined and someone who's not very mobile I think the weakness for them would be in the middle of the park defensively uh so I you know West Ham can certainly attack that and if you line up in that 4-4-2 or with any form uh formation that has uh sort of a narrow attack the best way to 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 beat someone who has strong wingers, sorry, not strong wingers, two two forwards and two strong wing backs or two strong fullbacks would be to attack in the middle and stay away from them. So, West Ham, I think they do have a solid shot at this one. Any final and summation thoughts uh, from from you guys about this game and uh, and West Ham's odds? And if there's going to be a goal score, we all pegged a, a goal scoring match. Um, who do you think is going to get in on it? Well, the best bets always are Nadovich, right? Very true, very true. I think, you know, maybe his knee sees him miss a game. I think that's also a very real possibility in this game, but I don't want to put that into the universe, so I'll stray away from that. Oh, don't say that. Chicharito, I think Chicharito's got a goal in him, <laughs> at least one. They're scoring three, so he's got at least one of them. You know, I think if we do start the, uh, like you said, the four, kind of two, 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 you know, possibly with that new partnership or brotherhood, whatever you want to call it up front, if that's a possibility, maybe Chicharito. And, you know, you guys are probably going to try to want to burn me at the stake when I say this, but, uh, you know, how great would it be to come on around the 70th minute and, and get a nice cross right into the mid? Oh, like I know you were where talking he's going. About, and uh, you know exactly where I'm going. <laughs> and uh, Andy Carroll to head one home. So uh, all possibilities, probably not going to be Carroll, but, you know, the easy bet's probably either Chicharito or Arnautovic, but you never know. It could be somebody else. Yeah, I'd love to see Anderson get on the score sheet, just try and sort of give him a little bit of confidence, try and get some swagger back into him because uh, obviously everyone's talking about his defensive performances and it would be nice for him to be talked about in a positive light. I do think he needs to try and take on a few more shots. Uh, I think he's potentially been a bit shot shy. Um, hopefully he can change that around. I think uh, I, I tweeted out something last week. It showed we were very... Uh, sort of isolating on the wings when we tried to attack uh, we sort of formed sort of two little triangles uh, uh, last week it was sort of Snodgrass, Anderson and Cresswell on the left and then Noble, Yarmolenko and Zavaleta were passing the ball between them like that was, they had sort of two separate threes and then they would use Rice to switch it to the other side and no one was sort of 
coming into the middle and trying to sort of play off of Anderson. Uh, I don't know why that was. Um, hopefully, if we put someone either up with him, uh, like Chicharito, or we play someone just behind him, like Lucas Perez, uh, we can sort of start getting the ball to Arnautovic in not just, like, now you have to score situations. Uh, it, we have to sort of start getting involved in the build-up and bringing other people into the scoring chances as well. And I think uh, we have the opportunity to do that against Leicester. Uh, they're not going to be as uh, rigid defensively or as sort of as disciplined defensively as Spurs are. So we've got the chances to do that. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully on Artovich again scores because, I mean, for his standards, two games without goal, it's a long time. And we want to get, well, some positive results. We've got a really nice run of fixtures. I, I keep going on about this in our articles. A really nice run of fixtures until uh, I think we only play Man City's the only top six team we play until January 12th so I mean this is a huge chance for us yeah couldn't agree more with you there and, and I do like our positivity with at least picking up a point there for West Ham uh, that's going to do it here for the Green Street Hammers podcast we thank you guys for listening and uh, until next week uh, go West Ham and let's grab some points away at Leicester City credit card bill save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card shop these deals at your local kroger today or tap the screen now to download the kroger app to save big today kroger fresh for everyone prices and product availability subject to change restrictions apply see site for details